Wow, I'm sitting here listening to the sound of rain, which is a wonderful break from the incredible sun we've had. It's actually 4 a.m. and there's a chorus, a birdsong welcoming in the new day. How amazing nature is that as the sun appears, so do the birds starting to chirp and sing outside. Well, now you may be asking, what's that got to do with our podcast, Saving Tomorrow's Planet, where we speak to pioneering people taking action to save the planet? Well, today my guest is James Alexander, who I discovered during our conversation is not only a bird lover, but actually rediscovered some birds. And actually, I'll let him tell that story. But it was not birds that we asked uh, James to come and talk to us on but signatures and that's what we want to talk to today because James believes passionately that as individuals we can have the power to change policies and government actions when we can pull all our names together on petitions and campaigns and James has been leading with some other people some remarkable results in this way. So as always, because we seek to speak to people all around the world, I've asked James to tell us where he's talking from to us today. I'm in a place called Suffolk uh, on the east coast of uh, the UK. Um, for, for those of you that don't know it, it's, uh, it's the bit that sits out as a bump on the right-hand side, and we, we're, we're in the bottom half of it. Uh, I, I live on the coast, uh, and I love it. Fantastic. And let's start by just uh, very simply uh, describing your role now as you would see it. Um, I, I do two things, really. I, I'm a, um, a director at Future Agenda, uh, which is an advisory that helps organizations with foresight, strategy and innovation um, from, from big and small and uh, from so big and global to uh, small uh, charities, uh, so full breadth. Um, and I also spend uh, a lot of my time both through that work but also elsewhere uh, doing what I can to help nature. So I wanted to come back to that but just tell us where your career started because as I looked at your background I think there's a couple of interesting threads that I'd like to explore with you. Yeah great, um, uh, well I, uh, oh, uh, I, I was a bird watcher when I was young uh, which I'll, I'll return to um, but I, I studied civil engineering at university uh, I then joined a uh, strategy consultancy called LEK, um, which, which was interesting because it did a lot of um, analytical work for, for large organizations. It was involved in about 30% of uh, M&A transactions of, of the FTSE 100. Um, and, and through that work, I, I got really uh, introduced to uh, and very close to um, shareholder value uh, as a notion. Uh, I then went to INSEAD, uh, and I suspect I learned more about that then. Uh, left there, uh, was uh, uh, lucky enough to uh, join the early team at Egg, uh, which was uh, the UK's sort of first digital bank. Um, uh, left there and co-founded the business called Zopa, uh, which uh, if you haven't come across it, it's a bit like eBay, but for money. Uh, so people lend and borrow money. Uh, and because it uh, cuts out banks, uh, pe people get a better deal. Um, and it, it uh, founded a, a whole sector, um, uh, which is now known as peer-to-peer -peer lending. Um, left there and uh, have, have pretty much been uh, uh, doing uh, consulting and advisory work uh, since, since that time. Great. And there is an interesting theme that I'm going to pick out from that. But let's go back to your comment about being a bird watcher, because I'm 
very interested always to know where people's interest in sustainability in animals and birds, etc., has come from. So what was this story from the beginning of your youth? I'd love to know more. Uh, well, it wasn't the beginning of my youth. It was actually at uh, secondary school. Uh, I went to uh, a boarding school uh, and frankly, I was bored on Sundays. Um, and uh, one of my friends um, uh, used to go bird watching uh, with one of the members of staff uh, at the school uh, and, I, and I joined. And, and it's funny because to be honest, Jeremy, I can't really explain why I started doing it. If you ask me now, why do you do it? I would say things like, well, it gets me outside and it gets me into nature. Um, and I like being outside because I spend uh, lots of my time at my desk. Um, uh, it takes me to interesting places. Uh, so typically when, when, I, when I travel um, uh, or even just go for a walk, I will always carry my binoculars and go to places that, that perhaps other people wouldn't do. Um, and sometimes it's tricky, um, but, but broadly, um, Perhaps, I don't know, if, if you're uh, interested in fashion, you might notice what people wear. Or if you're an architect walking through a city, you probably notice buildings. Um, and I tend to uh, just, just notice what's going on uh, in, in our living world. And, and that's been a real uh, joy um, and source of nourishment to me over, over the years. And the theme, clearly. Um, now, I think you have, uh, I don't know if it's a claim to fame, but something important about extinct birds or perhaps not uh, so extinct. Could you tell us that story? Yeah, sure. When, when I was at uh, university, uh, a very good friend of mine, uh, uh, who's, who's now Dr. Phil Atkinson, um, invited me to go uh, on an expedition to a country called San Tomé and Principe, uh, which I suspect very few people have heard of, but it's um, located on, on the equator, uh, on the west side uh, of Africa, uh, about 250 miles uh, out into the Gulf of Guinea. Um, and we were lucky enough to spend uh, three months there um, looking for uh, four species of birds that were considered by many to be extinct. They hadn't been seen since 1928, uh, even though lots of people uh, had looked for them. Um, and uh, we, were, we were lucky enough to find three of them, uh, the Santomé fiscal shrike, the Santomé short tail, uh, and the dwarf olive ibis. Um, and uh, we, we were also lucky enough to photograph them, uh, catch, uh, catch two of them um, uh, and uh, you know, with my colleagues and certainly led by them um, wrote, a, wrote, wrote a paper on them um, and I'm really pleased to say they're now uh, sort of you know, you know, protected and looked after on, on that island uh, which is perhaps the most important thing. Which this story is crucially important because actually you are passionate about the question of what's happening to our national and sorry global natural world, mm. um, and uh, you know what can be done to avoid extinction. So you know firsthand what it's like to discover something that may have been extinct. Tell us what your passion is around this particular subject. Perhaps the background, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I, I stand on the shoulders of, of others. I'm, I'm just an, an ordinary person. Um, but but I, I, I guess through birds, I began to notice, you know, changes were afoot. Uh, so, for example, um, uh, for those of you living in England, there's, there's now a, a small white heron bird called a little egret, which uh, when, when I first began birdwatching when I was about 15, um, was a real rarity in the UK. Um, Today, it's now possible, you know, on the south uh, and east coasts uh, in winter to see flocks of these things. And that's effectively them moving as a consequence of, of, of 
of global warming uh, and, and, and climate change. But much, much on a much bigger scale than that, what, what scientists, uh, you know, many scientists now believe is that we're living in and presiding over, if you like, the Earth's sixth mass extinction event. Um, and, and just to say a little bit about that, a mass extinction uh, event is broadly defined as a loss of 75% of all species. Okay, so that's, that's catastrophic, 75% of all species. And perhaps what's important here is that the planet's been around uh, apparently for about four and a half billion years. Uh, life has been on it for at least three and a half billion years. And in those three and a half billion years, there have been uh, five mass extinctions so far, but they've all been caused um, by volcanoes or meteors whacking the planet, you know, wiping out dinosaurs, etc. This one, this one is clearly being caused by us, which is why um, you know, many people now now refer to today uh, in um, sort of uh, you know through through a long term lens as the Anthropocene. Uh, so it's something I'm sure that that you're very very familiar with that. But if I, if I bring that you know slightly closer uh, to, to to nature uh, more directly. Um, uh, the WWF um, with uh, ZSL have, have been looking at um, long-term population uh, studies over, over a long time. And, and they produce this thing every few years called the Living Planet Index, um, which is ironic because actually the Living Planet Index you know, is a curve that, that just goes down. Um, and in the last 50 years, what, 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 what those charts are telling us is that the abundance of nature on our planet has declined by a whopping 68%. So the abundance of nature on our planet has declined by 68%. And if I were to put that into human terms for you, that would be the same as every person uh, living in North America, South America, Africa, Europe, China, and Oceania, all dying. And that's that's basically been, uh, I don't know how old you are, Jeremy, but that that is in my life lifetime. I, I've, I've been around for 51 years. So in 50 years, all of that has died. Um, and that, if you like, is is scientific fact. And, and frankly, I find that uh, shocking for a number of reasons. One, because um, you know, um, myself included until recently, probably wasn't aware of, of, of that. Um, and secondly, and perhaps most importantly, uh, it, it's now really obvious, uh, and, and again, we've got scientists to thank for this, that, that if you like having a, a stable biosphere, um, so, you know, healthy life on land and uh, life underwater, um, clean water, uh, et cetera, um, obviously you know, it provides the basic functions for us as humans to, to exist and therefore for society to exist. Um, and you know, unless we have a healthy society, then we can't really have a, you know, a, a healthy business world. And if we believe that uh, you know, business um, and commerce can uh, you know, help support society, I think that's pretty fundamental. Now, Unfortunately, we are seeing these facts and they're being presented to us. And as with so many things to do with the government, to do with sustainability, um, they are not, no actions being taken, we could feel. Um, you know, it's funny with the pandemic, everybody is saying we trust what the scientists say and mm. act on it. And we're not necessarily here. So this podcast is about people taking action. And I know you are taking action or taking, and so 
would you share, I think something very interesting, which you started to call Voice for the Planet, you know, what is this and how is this the first step of several that you're taking to, to do something? Yeah. Um, well, uh, I mean, I, I'm going to say Voice for the Planet is a, is a you know, is, is a small thing, um, but, but we're hoping it's making uh, some difference. And it began really, um, myself and a colleague, Patrick Harris, were, were lucky enough to uh, be asked by WWF in the UK to support them in creating uh, their strategy through to 2030. Um, and with this Living Planet Index, it was interesting because a newly arrived uh, CEO, Tanya Steele, um, she sort of said, well, look, look, looking at that, it looks like um, while we're winning many battles, we're, we're losing the war. Um, and what she meant by that was, you know, yes, they'd succeed in, uh, you know, saving the panda. And in fact, China's going to look after the panda. The panda's okay. Um, or, or they might be protecting, you know, a, another species, you know, the snow leopard in the Himalayas. Um, but that's probably okay. But that isn't enough because the abundance is dying. And what we learned through that work was there was a there was some major conferences coming up. Uh, they, they were meant to be in 2020, but um, as, as we now know, they're, they're taking place in 2021. And what the scientists told us is those conferences were critical because they were going to set the trajectory for the world over the next decade. Um, and the two conferences, um, uh, and I'm sure your audience will know this, a, a COP15, which is effectively uh, the uh, the CBD uh, the uh, uh, conference on on biological diversity so on nature if you like uh, which is taking place in China in October of this year um, and then the climate COP um, COP 26 which is taking uh, place in Glasgow and I got really interested in this so if these things were were really important not because if you like they were taking action per se and, and I'm sure we'll come back to that but because they were setting the policy and if you like the frameworks on which uh, uh, countries uh, and, and therefore businesses and therefore people um, were, were gonna have to you know, adapt to, then they were pretty critical. Um, and, and the lead scientist, Mike Barrett told me, you know, if, we, if we mess up on these, we might as well pack our bags. Um, you, know, this, you know, this would be a real failure not to succeed. Um, what we were then told was that the scientific facts are clear, but the reality is that the political will, um, you know, in individual nations and you know, uh, together globally, was not there to take the necessary action uh, at these at these campaigns. And um, what what I was told was that you know, given that many leaders in the world, not all, uh, are democratic, what needed to happen was a mobilisation of people. Um, because perhaps politicians would ultimately respond to people uh, either supporting or demanding it uh, of them. Um, and you might say, and, and rightly so, say, well, there's a hell of a lot of campaigns out there. But I think our observation was that um, uh, whilst there were many campaigns, the truth, the reality was that they were very dis disparate, uh, very atomized. So you'd have brilliant work uh, going on from, you know, anything from Greta to... Um, Greenpeace to Avaz to Extinction Rebellion to WWF, you name it, millions of campaigns or much more local campaigns, uh, perhaps through local wildlife trusts, etc. But the reality was everyone was doing their own thing. And so these, these things, however well-intentioned, were very atomized. And if we were really going to get a shift in political will, then surely what we needed to do is to 
bring these campaigns together to give a very loud shout and cry to political leaders to do the right things at these these key conferences in in 2021 and so from that uh, voice of the planet was born um uh, we were lucky we we ran into um uh, a, a group associated with the world economic forum and, and also wwf uh, and others um, and convened Voice of the Planet, uh, and its intention was was really just to um, you know al allow people to share that they cared um, and that they wanted their leaders to do the right thing. Um, we, we've been going for a few years, um, and funnily enough, what what happened is we we then became part of the problem. <laughs> so uh, uh, I hope as a, as any innovator, you, you learn as you go along. Um, but we became just another campaign, you know, the Voice for the Planet campaign, um, and uh, and and we we continued along. But what we've recently done is we've uh, built a, an aggregator which literally adds up all of the people that have signed uh, various petitions or all of the people that care about the planet on social media. Um, but also brings that together with all of the businesses uh, that are actually taking action uh, and making a difference, um, you know, like, like the organization you, you used to work for. Um, but also all of the cities uh, that are taking action uh, and making a difference and all of the countries that have signed up to, um, I, I guess, the leading uh, pledges around uh, nature um and climate and and not just pledges because pledges are one thing it's it's action that we all really care about but at least uh that they're, they're, they're on the way forward and very excitingly what's happened uh just in the last three weeks um is uh a new campaign that we're hugely supportive of uh, called the races on uh has launched and, and that races on is uh the races on to a nature positive world by 2030 and um, for, for, for you know, your listeners, um, many of them may be familiar with things like the race to zero, uh, which is obviously the climate equivalent. So the race it's on is effectively the nature uh, equivalent to make sure that we start to you know, bend that curve of uh, biodiversity loss uh, by 2030. So this is where I want to know how you are going to make this more successful than anything else to create action through the career connection. So I want to explore, um, are you actually quite a data geek in a way? And is your understanding of payment systems and, and banking, and which is about data and about people, somehow you know, inspiring this idea of can we get individuals and organizations to sign up and to you know, be representative? You know, can, can we just explore that? Because you've got an idea here. And the question is, how can we make this idea you know, unbelievably successful. So it's a yeah. No, I I, I I don't I don't think I am a data geek. I I was once uh, in my first job uh, at at LEK Consulting. I definitely was, and uh, th then I went to Egg, and and actually I'm going to say I had the other half of my brain sort of unlocked or released um, because I think you need data um, and that is very useful information but I think to solve problems you not only need data but you also need creativity uh, and inspiration and, um, and and painting pictures painting vivid pictures looking forward um, of, of a world that we want to live in um, and, and so for me um, the framing for example around nature positive is incredibly helpful um, that that feels like a good thing. Uh, living in a world with more nature rather than less uh, is something that's inherently attractive. 
Um, and so what, whilst I think um, facts and science and data are, are critical underpinning, I don't think they're sufficient um, because I don't think they necessarily mobilize the more emotive parts of people. Yeah. Um, so, so for some, it might be, you know, waking up to birdsong in the morning or going for, you know, a beautiful walk and, you know, seeing a deer or whatever it might be, the hum of bumblebees, the purr of a turtle dove. Perhaps it's those things that resonate more closely, if you like, with, with the human soul. And uh, you may have interpreted my, um, my statement in the wrong way. The reason I made it, no, the reason I made it is that I am excited by the thought of getting you know millions of people to sign because there must be a tipping point at which point politicians do listen to the people because we could argue we are powerless because in the end it is down to regulators in the end or companies but let's say regulators so at what point will they listen at what point will they act and um so and it was in the spirit of saying right well could we no, get perfect. a billion signatures yeah and what are the tools to get a billion and you know banking and so on is about individuals and, and getting sign up and so on so you know just to tell you at the body shop we created a uh, a petition and we got 8 million signatures which we took to the UN it was the largest um, petition ever taken to them but you know that was only 8 million and I think you've already got 7.5 so you know what would it take to get 100 million signatures perhaps 100 million people will start to listen I don't know what's what number well, do you think creates the tipping point of action I, well I, I, I guess that the, the the question behind the question is is what creates change yep. um, and uh, yeah I I doubt very much that it that it is purely numbers or there is a number. Um, so, so I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I quite believe there is a number. Um, so, so I think it takes many actors acting in very different ways. Um, you know, be it the you know inside advocacy going on, um, you know, the individual conversations at G7 with you know Sir David Attenborough or watching Johan Rockstrom's latest film. Um, I, I think it'll be a myriad of things, but I do believe passionately that bringing uh, the otherwise atomized people's voice to bear uh, at and ahead of uh, these two uh, cops uh, later this year will be absolutely critical. And you know, myself uh, and all of our participants, and I'm going to say every individual can play their part in doing it because it's not only... You know, as you know, Jeremy, you're you're curating this you know wonderful series of of, of podcasts, um, but it's about sharing what others are doing and getting people to act. Um, and and we can all act. You know, we can all we can all sign petitions. We can all write to our uh, our local uh, MP or politician or councillor. We can all do something uh, in our backyard or um, you know on, on on our window ledge that actually does make a difference. Um, and I think it's only through action. That, that real change happens. And I'm sure, uh, I know <laughs> that, 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 that at these COPs, um, you know, COVID notwithstanding, um, you know, there will be people on the streets around the world, um, that there will be people marching, um, there will be, uh, you know, rock concerts, you know, bringing, you know, the, the, the focus of the world together, there will be um, petitions being handed in, um, and certainly all of the voices uh, as part of the race to zero, um, will be taken to uh, global leaders individually uh, and, and presented to them. Um, and you will be able to see, um, you know, the, the, the size and the magnitude of that support and demand for them to do the right thing at those conferences around the world. Fantastic. And I will put on the references so that people can uh, sign up. 
I'd like Wonderful. to thank you by this idea of action and your personal passion, which is around birds, because um, there are many, you know, at the end of each of our podcasts, we ask our guests to tell us what tips and tricks they could give to the listener to actually take action. And I think um, my sense is you're going to share some very interesting things about how we can take a positive impact to the birds that are around us. So what, what would you suggest? Well, it, we do? It, it might not be birds, actually. Um, so I... I'm just going to say notice next time you're outside just just look and notice what you see that's not from the built environment um, and that could just be sitting on the grass and watching what insect happens to crawl across your patch of grass or noticing something flying overhead or noticing a smell um, and and wonder what is what is actually making that possible um, and what what might you do to be able to encourage more? So I think this 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 notion of of uh, you know nature positive is is a really interesting one because at a at a micro level it's something we can all do. You know, just by piling up some sticks in your garden, you'll probably get more insects. Um, but also at a macro level, it's something that global leaders can uh, take action on to. Um, you know, increase species to increase abundance and diversity and do that by, you know, protecting sites, by safeguarding, you know, natural systems. Uh, so, you know, water, et cetera, by restoring land, um, but also by, uh, and I'm, I'm sure many other people have, have uh, commented on by, you know, being conscious of our consumption habits or being conscious of uh, perhaps some of the production drivers um, that actually cause uh, biodiversity loss. And, and so I think my, um, this is long-winded, all, all my answers have been long-winded, not intentionally, but um, I, I just wondered that the first thing to do is notice and appreciate because ultimately it's probably our disconnection from nature, um, not only as individuals, but as a species that have caused this problem in the first place. I think our forebears, um, and, and those of the planet are people uh, on the planet that still rely on nature on a day-to-day -day basis and, and do that viscerally. Um, they're not destroying nature. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's not a helpful thing to do. So I think notice and reconnect might, might be my, uh, my, my one tip. Good. Well, thank you very much for that. That was uh, very, very interesting. And uh, I will go out and notice straight away after this call. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you very much indeed, Jeremy. It's been a, a pleasure to meet you and uh, thanks for giving the opportunity to share a little of uh, what myself and many, many others are, are doing. Really appreciate it. Well, what a thoughtful and gentle man, as the expression goes. So let's all of us put our names to his petitions. I have done it and it only takes around 30 seconds. I have to say the sites are also super cool graphically as well. So what I'd like you to do is go to voiceforthaplanet.org that is voiceforthaplanet.org and uh, put your name to the petition and then I would also recommend going to hashtag the race is on to see the incredible stats on the total signatures and support the campaign is getting great well look have a great day and see you next week